This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans chapter 1, if you would, this morning. Romans chapter 1 is where we find ourselves. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Romans so far, uh, and we uh, just started uh, just a few weeks ago, actually the Sunday after Easter, and so this is uh, message number 10 in our series. Uh, We're just going verse by verse through the book of Romans. Romans has 16 chapters, so we're going to be here for a little while. But uh, it's, it's okay because it's a really good book. And so uh, this very verse that we're going to take a look at today, Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, we're actually going to take two weeks and just look at this one verse. And so uh, today's kind of uh, laying a foundation uh, for what's to come. If you don't yet have the Hui Kala app, I would encourage you to download that to your mobile device because that's going to give you the notes where you can follow along with today's message. So if you install the Hui Kala app, click on the Roman series, click on today's message, which is entitled Understanding the Wrath of God. Click on the button that says fill in notes. It's going to pop up in a web browser for you where you can take notes there. Uh, and you'll also see all the scriptures that I'm going to reference uh, will be there in those notes as well. So if that works for you, if not, just grab a sheet of paper and jot down some thoughts as we go through this passage of scripture this morning. If you're a first-time guest with us here at Hui Kala, thanks for being here. We're delighted to have you as our, our guest here with us today. We're delighted that you would choose to worship with us today. Let me just tell you this. You picked a doozy of a Sunday to show up because today we're talking about probably one of the heaviest topics in all of the Bible, the wrath of God. Uh, and so uh, let me just say, you picked a great Sunday to come. Uh, and so uh, I hope you'll be encouraged by today's message because believe it or not, today's message is super encouraging. And so, uh, but we got to make sure that we have the right mindset. And so uh, we'll, we'll be talking about the wrath of God this Sunday, next Sunday, and then we'll move on from there. Now, I will say this, if you're, if you're a regular attender at Hui Kala and you're expecting things to get easier from here, you haven't read Romans chapter 1 yet because uh, Romans 18, uh, Romans 1 verse number 18 is just the kickoff of a really, 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 really super heavy passage of scripture all the way through the end of the, the chapter. So it's going to be heavy. And so I just want to give you a heads up ahead of time uh, that if you're expecting uh, some, some bubblegum cotton candy messages over the next few weeks, uh, you're in the wrong place. Uh, but if you want to hear God's word preached uh, and, and you want somebody to bring it, you're in the right place. And so I want to encourage you uh, to, to stay tuned over the next several weeks. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 13 just for the sake of context. Uh, we'll read down through verse number 18. Verse number 18 is really where we'll spend uh, the bulk of our, our time uh, together today. Romans chapter 1, uh, verse number, we'll start verse number 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse number 16 is a verse you should circle, star, underline. If you're using a mobile app, you should uh, highlight this verse and commit it to memory. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed in heaven amongst all them that, that hold, or sorry, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
One of the top 10 things that I do not enjoy doing in life is buying a car. Uh, I, I like to just hang on to them for as long as I can. Now, I enjoy cars. Uh, I grew up uh, around cars my whole life. My dad, my dad to this day owns a body shop and a mechanic shop in, in Kentucky. And so I enjoy cars. I just hate the process of buying a car because you never know what you're getting into. Uh, Angela and I made a decision uh, when we first got married. We're not going to buy new cars uh, because we want to allow somebody else to take the 30% depreciation within the first week. Somebody else can do that. We'll uh, buy a used car later. Then we made a decision probably 15 years ago, one of the best decisions we've ever made. If we can't afford the car, we don't buy it. Imagine that, right? And so we basically pay cash for all of our cars. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. Uh, and so we don't have a car payment, never have in the last 15 years. Uh, that's been a help to us. So th what that means is there's times where you don't have a lot of money, but you need to buy a, a decent car. And so we just have to make do. And so... Uh, I remember when we first moved to, to Honolulu back in 2013 to, uh, to start Huikala. We didn't have a car. We, we show up here, and somebody picked us up at the airport and, and dropped us off. And so we're um, on Craigslist looking for cars. And I found a car. It was an SUV. It fit our family. It fit our, our, our budget. And I thought, man, this is perfect. This is a win. I go and look at it, and uh, the guy shows it to me over in Salt Lake. And so uh, I'm taking a look at it. And so I do everything that I know to do. I check the brakes and how much depth on the brake pads. I check the tire tread depth and uh, get a flashlight and check underneath for any uh, oil leaks or anything like that, anything that looks amiss uh, under there. I walk around, kick the tires because you have to kick the tires. Um, and, and begin to look at the inside, you know, and he said all the right things. Man, this thing is a second owner, no kids, no smoking, no pets. This thing was clean, too. It was clean as a whistle. Uh, and so uh, we, we began to, to negotiate a price. We came to a price agreement. I paid him for it. And I said, he said, uh, oh, I just live right around the corner. I said, hey, can I take you and drop you off? He goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. I said, man, I don't want you to walk home. You know, you, I'll, I'll drop you off. He's like, no, it's fine. And so through the course of conversation we've been talking, he said that he worked on computers and was uh, worked at, at, at one of the, the bases nearby, and he worked on computers. And so when he get, went to grab his backpack out of the back, Sticking out of his backpack was one of those code readers that you plug into the underneath under the dash. <laughs> Some of you know where this is going. Uh, and so uh, I thought, that's strange for a guy that works on computers. Why would he carry like car tools around with him? Well, I found out that the second we drove out of the parking lot, the check engine light came on in the car. And I was just like, oh, no. And so this guy had played up all the really good things about it and had failed to mention the fact that this car has a persistent check engine light, persistent sensor problems, persistent electrical problems, which I found out after I got like elbow deep into it a few months later. It ended up being a, a bummer of a car. I hate to say this, when we sold it, I, I sold it and said, hey, it's got these problems. I know these are problems with it. I, I don't know anything else that's wrong with it that I know of. And, so, and I, we sold it. Like two months later, some guy calls me. He's like, the transmission went out on this thing, and you need to pay for it. She's like, hey, it's yours at this point. I'm sorry. Uh, but again, he played up. The guy that I bought it from played up all the really good things about it and failed to mention all the terrible things about it. I feel sometimes when Christians come to the idea of God, we want to play up all the really good things about him, but neglect to mention the really hard things about him. We love to talk about God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's kindness, God's forgiveness. And then wrath is like one of those things that kind of makes us feel uncomfortable, and we don't have to talk about that so much. Uh, sin makes us uncomfortable. Uh, judgment makes us super uncomfortable. So let's just talk about how good God is and then neglect his wrath. Uh, the messages you're going to hear today would probably not be preached in probably 90% of churches in America, not because we're super awesome or we're super spiritual, just because people don't preach the whole counsel of God. 
Again, if you hear God is angry with sin and sinners and holds them in contempt and judgment, that is an offensive message. But the gospel is just an offensive message. When Paul chooses to speak about the gospel, again, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation of the Jew first, also to the Greek. Then he goes to verse number 17, we were to live faith by faith. Then he jumps into the wrath of God. Now, mind you, up to this point, Romans has been really kind of a feel-good book. Uh, Paul starts off explaining who he is, tells them that he wants to come and visit Rome at some point. He goes on to tell them, like, hey, I'd love to sit down with you and, and be a blessing to you, and you can be a blessing to me, and we can do this together. And he says, I can't wait to get to Rome, because when I get to Rome, I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm excited about preaching the gospel. Man, the gospel of God, it's the power of God and salvation. Hey, we as Christians are going to live by faith each and every day. Faith to faith to faith, that's how we live. And then verse number 18, like, boom, it hits like a ton of bricks, and it never lets up. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And man, again, if you read through the rest of the chapter, it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. So Paul, when he chooses to share the gospel, he begins with the wrath of God. I've had the privilege in my lifetime to share the gospel literally tens of thousands of times. Every time I start with sharing the gospel, nine times out of ten, I'll start with the love of God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. You're a mess. You've made a mess of your life. You've sinned against God. But please understand, God loves you. And then from there I go to, but... You've broken God's law. You and I have sinned against the holy God. God has rules. We've broken them. God has a law set. You and I blew right past every single stoplight, every red flag. We blew past it because we are sinners. You've broken God's law, and I have too. There's consequences for your sin. You can't just sin forever and get away with it. And so you sin against God, and now there's consequences of that sin. God will judge your sin by sending you to hell when you die. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. That is God's punishment for sin. But the good news is, is Romans 5, 8 says, God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die. Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to receive God's punishment. Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God. Jesus endured the wrath of God for me on my behalf on the cross. And anyone who would come to Jesus in faith and repentance, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. I put my full faith and trust in him and ask him to save me and forgive me of my sins. Anyone can be saved born again, whatever you want to call it, those words mean the same thing, and saved from God's judgment. That's the gospel, and it's good news. But I always start with love. I always end in salvation, and somewhere sandwiched in the middle to try to make it taste a little bit better, I put wrath. And you know, I don't think it's wrong. There's a, the order isn't necessarily that important that you just get the whole message in there together. But it's interesting that Paul starts with wrath. It's just like, wow, okay. Paul would get kicked out of a ton of churches in America if he began to talk like that. Just know that. It'd be very unpopular. And so again, I'm not preaching today's message because it's a hot topic or because it's popular. I'm preaching it because it's in the Bible. 
And so as we look at the wrath of God, we need to first of all understand what we're talking about. So we see first of all the wrath of God defined. Now dictionary definition of wrath is this strong, vengeful anger or indignation, retributory punishment for an offense or a crime. Now, pause here for just a second. Wrath is always in response to something else. It's retribution. It's vengeance. It's revenge. Always. I don't stub my toe on the couch and then have wrath. I get anger. I get angry. But there's no wrath because wrath has to go against someone or something that's caused wrath. It's always in response to. This is really important as we unwind the character of God and begin to look at it for what it is because some people get the idea that God's just always angry. We'll see that that's not the case at all. When we talk about the wrath of God, it's an expression of God's divine displeasure with human sin. So when we talk about the wrath of God, again, it's retributory, it's retaliatory, it's retribution, it's vengeance against what? 100% of the time, it is against human sin. Again, this is super important, that God is not some cranky old guy up in the sky that delights in being angry. He's not the guy that's telling the kids to get off his lawn. He's not the guy that's saying, hey, I need to teach these guys a lesson. God is not A father up in heaven with his leather belt slapping it on his hand going, yeah, try me, son. That's not who God is. And again, if we don't fully grasp the wrath of God, then we mischaracterize God as mean, angry, unkind, can't be uh, appeased in any way. And again, when we look back at world religions throughout that are not Christianity, we find always some idea of some divine being that's angry that must be appeased we see this in ancient uh religions whether it be child sacrifices or food sacrifices or animal sacrifices that were made to appease the anger of this heavenly god god's the same way in the fact that his anger must be appeased but he's different in the fact that he's not just angry for the sake of being angry it's always in response to something. When we talk about God's wrath, it's not so much as a, of a feeling of anger as much as it is an action of God. It's God's judgment on sin. So again, this is not part of God's emotional makeup. God's not doesn't delight or get excited about being angry. God doesn't get frustrated like you and I would get frustrated. God deals with sin. And when sin comes, God is angry 100% of the time. When we talk about human anger, it's a little bit different because human anger is a loss of self-control. Whereas God's wrath is God's calculated, intentional action against sin and his desire for justice. So when I get angry, it's a loss of self-control. Uh, yesterday morning, everything was going beautifully for me. I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I spent time in prayer. I spent time in the Word. I was getting ready to go work out. Uh, and something happened that just made my entire morning fall apart in like 10 seconds. Has ever happened to anybody else? Like everything was fine like 10 seconds ago, but now like the world is going to end. And, and I was angry with someone over something that had happened. And I mean, it was just rage filled my body. Like I felt like the Incredible Hulk. Like I wanted to like rip my shirt off and start pounding things with my fist. I was so angry. 
and I, I'm certain that I kicked something. Uh, I was certain that I was like, in my mind, I was raging. Is that wrath? No, that's just uncontrolled anger. And the person that I was angry at did nothing wrong. It was just a frustration on my part. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're upset about that and you're shaking your fist at them, telling them they can't drive. Some lady the other day ran a, a yellow light, pulled into an intersection and blocked an intersection for two light changes. And I thought to myself, did you really have to do that? Was it really worth it? All the 80 cars that got backed up because you just had to pull in the middle of the intersection and you can't even go. Is that wrath? No, that's just me being super petty. <laughs> that's my pride. Saying like, I don't deserve to wait for two light changes because somebody else is an idiot, right? Uh, I don't deserve that. That's not wrath. And, and please understand, that's not how God works. God doesn't get frustrated with you and I because you're just like, oh, come on. God is angry with sin 100% of the time. And here's the thing about God's anger. My anger, your anger, we don't necessarily know what will set that off, Right? It could be somebody pulling in an intersection and the light didn't make it through the intersection all the way and we flip out, right? It could be we're standing in the grocery store and they keep swiping the thing and it doesn't come up and they go, Johnny, can we get a check on aisle six? And you're like, oh my soul, are you kidding me? Just forget it, sit it to the side. I don't even want it. It's just like, whoa. Like, wait, you're upset about a price check on aisle six? Like dial it back a notch, right? Because our anger is explosive. You can't predict it. It's so unpredictable. God's anger is not unpredictable. You sin against God, he's angry. You sin against God, he punishes it. So it's not a matter of like, ooh, I got to tiptoe to make sure that I don't upset God. I got to walk really softly to make sure that God doesn't get angry with me. No, no, no. You don't have to be like that because God has calculated his anger and his wrath. Sometimes people say things like, well, I like the God of the New Testament a lot better than the God of the Old Testament. God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and anger. God of the New Testament is a God of grace and kindness and love and forgiveness. And we fail to realize that it's the same God. Now, in the Old Testament, it's important for you to understand that the Bible is divided into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The word testament literally means covenant. So the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. New Testament is the New Covenant under Christ. If you have a Bible, the one blank sheet between the Old Testament and New Testament, that, that one sheet of paper represents 400 years where God didn't speak at all. So under the Old Covenant, 400 years of silence, God speaks again and it starts with Jesus. Love that. So sometimes people think that like God is different in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I like the New Testament God better. Look, Old Testament God did not put up with stuff. Uh, there was a man by the name of Korah who came to Moses and was like, Moses, man, uh, does God only speak through you and Aaron? Like, why can't God speak through me and, and my brothers? Like, what's up with that? Who do you think you are, Moses? Like, you think you're God's man? I can be God's man. And God said to, to Moses, hey, get Korah and all of his family and bring them out here before me. And so... Moses says to Korah, hey, Korah, God wants to talk to you. And I can imagine Korah's like, yeah, that's right, he wants to talk to me. Oh, bring your wife and kids with you when they come. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know what happened? The earth opened up and swallowed them whole. What? 
like the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his wife and kids. What did they do? They spoke against Moses. Well, yeah, I, I don't like that God as much as I like the God of like forgiveness and grace and stuff like that. Okay, well, then maybe you'll be familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. They sold a piece of land. They lied about how much money they got. And they came to the church and Ananias, the husband, came first. He says, hey, I sold a piece of land and here's all the money that I got from it. And Peter's like, is this all of it? He's like, it's all of it. He's like, I don't know why you had to lie to the Holy Spirit, but like, you're dead. <laughs> Falls over dead. Wow. His wife comes. Mind you, her husband's just died. They said, hey, your husband was here and said you guys sold some money. Yeah, we did. We brought all the money to the church. He was like, man, the same guys that carried your husband's dead body are getting ready to carry your dead body out too. Boom, she falls over dead. Where's the grace there, right? God is a God of wrath and judgment throughout all of Scripture. But God is also a God of grace and kindness throughout all Scripture. David sins against God. God says, hey, look, you sin, but I'm going to continue to be gracious. David wants to build a house for God. God says, you can't because you shed too much blood, but I'll let your son and I'll let you prepare the house. That's God's grace. So again, we see God's grace and kindness throughout all of Scripture. We see Peter who's denied Jesus three times. Jesus is crucified, and Jesus, when he resurrects, finds Peter out fishing with the other apostles. And what does Jesus do? He makes breakfast for everybody. Grace, kindness. But please don't mistake God's grace and kindness for his softness when it comes to sin. And so again, it's foolish to think that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, while the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. It's the same God. It's the same coherent story from Genesis to Revelation, and it does not change. God does not change. So if God was a God of wrath that would open up the, the earth on Korah, he's the same God of wrath, today that wouldn't think twice about opening up the, the, the ground on you and I. Because God is a God of wrath at times. Again, the same God that was gracious to Peter made breakfast for him after he denied him three times. It's still the same God that extends grace to you and I. So it's not a, a disconnect of who God is. It's an overall totality of God's character. So that's the definition of God's wrath. When we talk about God's wrath described, the Bible uses really clear terms when it does that. It describes God's wrath as burning, blazing, fuming. And again, mind you, this is not, again, God just flies off the handle for no reason. This is God's predetermined response to the sin of man. When you and I sin, God gets angry. When the unbeliever sin god gets angry and god begins to punish english bible translations uh, translate the word wrath uh, the words that are used for wrath in the bible several different ways wrath anger indignation fury furious anger passion retribution judgment dreadful judgment terrors of judgment vengeance and punishment i mean again this is a heavy word when we talk about the wrath of god now again it's important to understand that if you hear messages about God's love, that's who God is. When you hear messages about God's peace and God's grace, that's who God is. But please understand, if you hear a message that says, God is love, God is peace, God is kindness, God is grace, and he made you just the way you are and you don't have to change, please understand you're only getting half the story. There's a whole other side of that that you haven't heard yet. 
And when churches don't preach the whole counsel of God, they give you the things that you want and leave out the stuff that you don't. And nobody here today came here to hear a message on the wrath of God. Okay? It's a heavy subject. It's uncomfortable. But it is what it is. And we'll see later how for us, those of us that are Christians, the wrath of God is actually a very, very encouraging thing. It's actually good. So hang, hang with me for a second because it's going to get really good. Now we need to understand, first of all, the target of God's wrath. If God is aiming his wrath at something, where does he aim it? He aims it at sin and unrighteousness. Again, we take a look at verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Keep your finger here. We're coming back to to Romans 1 in a second. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. Let's start, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1, we'll start there. Be therefore as followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us. And given himself a sacrifice for, uh, given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice of God for sweet smelling Savior. Man, all of us look at that and go, Amen. Let's walk in love the way that Jesus loved. Here we go. But fornication, sexual sin, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it be not once named among you as become a saints. Christians, don't live like this. You're above that. You've been called out of that. Neither filthiness, nor foolish uh, talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. Verse 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who's an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Man, that's heavy. Turn back to the book of Galatians chapter 5, if you would, right before the book of Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh, sin, are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. The very first four things that he says that come as a result of our sinful nature are all sexual in nature. So uh, please understand. Please get this. When we look around at our world today and we see a hyper-sexualized society, where everything becomes about sexuality, where we have people that are fighting for the right to talk to four-year-olds about sex, when children's curriculum depicts graphic pictures of sexual relations, we need to step back for a minute and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not of God, that's for sure. Because verse number 19 here tells us that these are the acts of the flesh. The first four acts of the flesh Works of the flesh, fruits of the flesh are sexual in nature. Verse number 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, 
wrath. Some of you should study out what emulations means. Uh, save that one for later. That's a good one. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's heavy. Your sin requires God's judgment. And if this is your life, categorized by these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to heaven. You say, well, that's really judgmental. God's the judge, not me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so again, the idea that we serve a God who is gracious at the expense of turning a blind eye to sin and pretending that it didn't happen isn't who God is. The idea that we have a God out there who, who uh, says sin's not that big of a deal. That's not who God is. God is angry with sin. God is required to judge sin. And his, his, his anger towards sin is burning. It's a hot wrath. Isaiah chapter 66, verse number 14. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like an herb. Let's talk about those who believe in God. When you see these things, your heart will rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like an herb. And the hand of the Lord shall be known towards his servants. God's hand is going to be evident on your life. But here's what it says. And his indignation towards his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Hey, for all of us that follow God, we'll be like, hey, the hand of the Lord, man, it's at work here. But for all those that don't follow God, God is coming with his chariots, with a whirlwind of fire and fury to be poured out upon them. That doesn't sound pleasant at all. Who's he coming against? It's coming against his enemies. <laughs> Who are the enemies of God? We are. Apart from Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5 tells us that we were the enemies of God before we came to Jesus. So know this, if you're here today without Jesus, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you are the enemy of God. His fury is coming with your name on it. He's coming in a chariot with flames of fire for you. I deserve that. That's what the Bible says. We were the enemies of God. And so please understand that God is gracious, he's kind, but at the same time, God also is required to exercise judgment at the same time as well. It's important to understand because God's target of wrath is sin and unrighteousness. If there were no sin, there would be no wrath. Think about that for a second. If, if there were no sin, God would have nothing to be angry with or about. The only time that this has ever happened in all of human history was the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, hey, stay here in the garden for as long as you like. Do whatever you want. Eat whatever you want. But whatever you do, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the sin of the garden. Everything else, fair game, do whatever you want. Don't care. And they said, okay. Until it wasn't okay. The devil came. 
he deceived Eve. Eve didn't know any better. He said, did God really say that? God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because when you do, you'll be just like God. And so Eve was deceived by the serpent, but Adam knew full well what he was doing was wrong. That's why God held Adam culpable for sin. He didn't hold Eve responsible. And again, when we get to Romans chapter 5, we'll see that, that Eve ate and then gave to Adam. But Eve wasn't counted sin because she was tricked. Adam knew full well what he was doing was wrong, and because of Adam's sin, death has passed upon all men for all have sinned. Thanks, Adam. Great job. So, but get this. Up until that point, what did God do? God walked with them in the garden. God hung out with them. God talked with them. Hey, God, what's going on? Oh, not much. What about you? I'm just hanging out here in the garden, man. Yeah, me too. Right on. Hey, you want to get something to eat? Yeah, sure. What do we got? Fruits and vegetables. I can't imagine how that was helpful, but it was what they had. <laughs> and so they ate of the fruit. And the moment that they did, they realized we messed up. And then they realized that they were naked. They went and hid themselves. The Bible said they made themselves aprons of fig leaves. If you know, once you pull a leaf off of a tree, it begins to decay and die. And they couldn't cover themselves any longer, so they hid. And God says, hey, Adam, where are you at? Not because God didn't know the answer, but because God wanted Adam to confess where he was at. I can't come out because I'm naked. Hey, who told you you were naked? The only way that you would know that is if you ate of that tree that you weren't supposed to. Adam said, we did. And then the Bible says that God clothed Adam and Eve with coats of skin of an animal. Get this. They couldn't cover their own sin. Somebody or something had to die to cover their sin. Had to. And so here we have the very first death in the Bible. Death of an animal to cover sin. Because God had already told them, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And you say, well, they didn't die that day. That day, their spirit died and was separated from God forever. God would no longer walk and talk with them. And now, God's punishment for sin comes. You're both going to die one day, and until you die, you can no longer live in my presence. You can no longer be my friend. You can no longer come back to this garden ever again. The buffet, the Garden of Eden buffet is shut down. You're going to eat. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow until the day that you die. You're going to have to work for your food. Eve, because you were deceived, you'll now be subservient to your husband. You'll now serve him. When you give childbirth, you'll have great pain in it. Because that's the curse of mankind against his sin against God. That's God's wrath on display. But up until that point, there was no wrath. There was no anger. There was no judgment. Why? Because there was no sin. And so, without sin, there'd be no wrath. Nahum 1-2 says this about God. God is jealous and the Lord revengeth, and the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord would take his vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves his wrath for his enemies. Again, if God doesn't have any enemies, he has no wrath. But the moment that you choose the opposite side of God, which all of us are the default position, it's important to grasp this concept, Okay. Some of us think that we're automatically born into the family of God because our parents go to church or because we believe in God or something like that. You're automatically born the enemy of God. Default. So when the Bible says that God's wrath is against his enemies, that's talking about you and I unless we come to Jesus. So 
When we talk about the enemies of God, it's like, yeah, those people, right? No, 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 us people. When we say, well, I believe that bad people go to hell. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Here's the, the bad news. We're the bad guys. We're all bad. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Yes, bad people go to hell and we are the bad people. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. It's not relative. It's a one or a zero. It's binary. Either you've sinned against God or you haven't. And if you have, you're the bad people that hell is for. You're deserving of God's punishment. You're on the receiving end of the wrath, anger, and fury, retribution, and vengeance of God. That's what we deserve. But God's wrath is culminated in his final punishment for sin in hell. So, God's final act of retribution takes place at the final judgment. There comes a day when all of us will stand before God. It's appointed unto man once to die after that the judgment. Every single one of us will stand before God one day. And you will either stand before God in joy or judgment. And it's my job as your pastor to make sure that you stand before God one day in joy, not judgment. But if you stand before God and he says, hey, I'm looking in my book here, the book of life, and I don't see your name, please understand you're not going to heaven. It doesn't matter what good things you've done. It doesn't matter how sincere of a person you've been. It doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized, where you've been baptized, or who baptized you. If your name is not found written in the book of life, you're cast in the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. That's Revelation chapter 20. That's bad news, man. Bad, bad, bad. And that's God's final act of wrath and judgment. And you, there's no getting out of that. That's God's wrath for eternity. But, and this is the most critical thing in the world. If you get nothing else out of today's message, please listen up for this, okay? This, this is the crux of the matter. This is the crux of Christianity. This is the meaning of the entire Bible. You deserve God's wrath and judgment, 100%, and I do too. Jesus became sin for us, and he was punished in our place, and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ as punishment for our sins all you have to do is believe it and receive it. That's it. And so if you're here today going like, oh, I don't know how to make things right with God, I'm going to tell you. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven, and I'm asking him to save me today and forgive me of my sins. Then that means that the wrath of God is not poured out on you. It's poured out on Jesus instead. He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was punished. Why did Jesus die? Did he die because the Romans wanted to crucify him or because the, the Jews thought he was blasphemous? No, he died because the Father said it's the only way to pay for our sins. You're welcome to pay for it on your own by enduring the wrath of God. But Jesus paid the price on the cross for us and endured the wrath of God. That's why as Jesus hung upon the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Because God had literally separated himself from his son because Jesus became sin. And the only thing that God could do when he sees sin is pour out his wrath upon it. That's precisely what he did. Jesus didn't cry out of anguish for physical pain alone. He was enduring the wrath of God. Why? Because of his love for us. Oh, man. You can't... You cannot enjoy the love of God without understanding first the wrath of God. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe in Jesus should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, be saved today. It's not about joining our church, becoming a Baptist, getting baptized, taking a class. It's about confessing your sin before God and believing that He is the only way to heaven. Simple as that. But if you don't, you'll meet the wrath of God. Because Romans chapter 1, verse number 18 says, The wrath of God is God's judgment on all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. But it's important. This is critical. And again, this might sound hypocritical to you. It's important to understand that we don't use the wrath of God as a manipulation tactic when it comes to sharing Christ. Look, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm just trying to warn you of what's going to happen when you die. You need to be prepared for that. You need to know. You need to share that truth with other people. But you'll never, ever, as long as I'm the pastor of this church here from this pulpit, an hour-long message on the, the fiery flames of hell and the smell of burning flesh and the cries of people as they fall into darkness for all of eternity. I'm not trying to manipulate you into anything. Look, you go over there to Super Church this morning. How many kids want to fall into the hands of an angry God and be persecuted, prosecuted, and endure the wrath of God for all of eternity through fiery flames where the worm dieth not. Nobody. How many of you want to go to heaven and live with Jesus? Everybody raises their hand, right? Is that Holy Spirit conviction for sin and a recognition of the wrath of God, or is that just being really scared? We don't need to manipulate people into trusting Christ. Look, if you can't see the beauty that Christ is, you've been blinded by the God of this world who is Satan. I can't manipulate you into that. I can't tell you super sad stories and make you cry to want to trust in Jesus. Either the Spirit is working in your life or it's not. If the Spirit's <laughs> not working in your life, I can't make the Spirit work in your life. I'm not a manipulator. But when you hear the truth of God's Word, something should stir up inside of you. The Holy Spirit should speak to you. The Holy Spirit <laughs> should bring you to conviction and tell you, hey, you've been wrong and you need to make it right. But we can't use hell as dangling over somebody's head. Come on, come to Jesus or you're going to get this. That's not the gospel. Now, again, can somebody be saved because they don't want to go to hell? Absolutely. Your reason for coming to Christ might be different than somebody else's. I, I came to Christ because I recognized that I had sinned against God and I deserved God's punishment. As a nine-year-old boy, I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Other people have come to Christ because they hit a crisis moment in their life where they realize, I don't have anywhere to turn other than to Jesus. Other people put their, their faith and trust in Christ uh, because of a multitude of reasons. Reasonings for coming to Christ, not necessarily all that important. 
But we cannot be manipulators of people's emotions and fears and things like that. Again, if, you, if you've ever been around toxic Christianity or toxic religion, manipulation is a key tactic. Uh, my wife um, went to the store the other day. God bless her soul. I love her to death. And she found uh, an antenna that you can plug into your TV and get like free television. It's just like, yeah, we used to call it rabbit ears, but now it's like this little mat that you put out, right? And so she bought one of those and she plugged it into the TV. And we've been watching, get this, you're going to love it, Wheel of Fortune. Man, like I play, no lie, I'm not making this up. I, I'm standing in church, I'm a pastor, I wouldn't lie, but I'm really not lying. I saw Pat Sajak last week in Kahala, no lie. Like, and she was like, how'd you know it was Pat Sajak? Because he looks like Pat Sajak, right? It's like Vanna White was not there. It was just Pat. Uh, and, but uh, I was impressed by that. But anyways, um, I was going somewhere with this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're watching Wheel of Fortune. And then comes on this advertisement on television about divine water. And this guy is at the Alamoana Hotel today. You already missed it, so you can't go. At the Alamoana Hotel today at 1030 and he's giving out free packets, not bottles, free packets of divine water. And he puts a microphone in this lady's face and says, you know, what happened? My husband, he was dying. I was in his deathbed. He drank this divine water, and he hopped right up out of the bed. <laughs> and it shows the guy, like, tubes all stuck in him. And then it shows a, a video of the guy. He's, like, dancing, you know. <laughs> and it's just, like, divine water, right? And I thought to myself, man, God help us. And she said, if we didn't know Jesus and we didn't know the Bible and you had cancer, I'd be like, give it a shot. It's water, you know. We can go. It's free. Try it, you know. And my heart sank. Because I look at that, I say it's blasphemous, it's shameful, it's false teaching, that there's a special place reserved in hell for people like that. But people buy into that because they think that's who God is. God hands out packets of water and makes you better. That's what the Bible says about people who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Look, that's manipulation, 100%. Praying on your fears, praying on your health desires, praying on your having no hope, that's manipulation. Christians are better than that. If you can't see the hope that's found in Jesus Christ in the Bible, you just can't see it. So it's important when we talk about the wrath of God, and we have to. You can't tell somebody the greatness of Jesus without talking about the judgment of God. We have to make sure that we do it in love and with the right spirit. That's important to understand. Can the wrath of God coexist with God's love? Is, God's is God wrath? How can you say that God is love, but he's also angry? Like, doesn't one cancel out the other? Is God 50% love, 50% wrath? Is anger part of God's DNA the same way that love is? It's important to understand that you cannot understand the love of God without first understanding the hatred of God. Now, some of you are just like, I don't know about that. In our home, there's uh, words that don't get used. One of those words is hate. We don't say that in our house at all. It's a bad word. <laughs> Funny story, we had, uh, my wife and I had gone to this store, uh, our boys were little at the time, uh, and uh, Thatcher was probably, I don't know, 10, Van would have been probably 5 or so. We go to the store, and we come back, and Van and I sitting on the couch crying, 
hey, bud, what's wrong? And Thatcher's like, don't you tell them, don't you tell them. And she's like, oh, great, here we go. Uh, what's up, buddy? <sighs> While you were gone, Thatcher was cussing and he wouldn't stop. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I can't handle it. I don't, I don't want to be in a house full of cussing. And he's just like, <laughs> until like I'm <laughs> wrath, right? Er, tell me more about this cussing, son. Well, he said the S word. Ooh, that's not a word that gets said in our house. And so I go to talk to that. He's lying. He's not telling the truth. I didn't say anything. I wasn't cussing. I promise. He's like, Thatch, man, just shoot it straight. Tell the truth, man. No, I didn't. I, I promise I wasn't cussing. I go back to Van. He's still crying. What did he say? The S word. What is that word? I'm not going to say it. I don't want to cuss. Tell us. <laughs> it breaks down. I can't say it. I can't say it. I can't say it. Say it, man. Come on. Just tell us. You won't be in trouble. Just say what he said. He said, shut up. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get on to him for cussing like that in our house. That will never happen again. So, that's what get in your room. And so Van like, drives it up. He's like, oh, I'm going to take care of this son once and for all. We don't say shut up in our house. It's not a cuss word, but we don't say it, right? But man, Van was convinced that shut up was a cuss word. Because we don't say that. Hate, we don't say that in our house. You might dislike green beans. You might dislike broccoli. You might dislike salad like most Americans should. <laughs> if you dislike bacon, I don't know that you're a child of God. You're probably not a child of mine. But uh, <laughs> we don't use the word hate. Hate's too strong of a word, right? We don't hate anybody or anything under any circumstances whatsoever. So to hear that God is a God of hate, mm, that doesn't jive with the God that we know. Well, let's take a look at what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. That word abomination means it's such a deep hatred that it makes God want to vomit. It's that deep. What are the things that God hates? God hates a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running the mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, Catholicism would say these are the seven deadly sins. I'll tell you, the Bible says all sins deadly. And seven deadly sins is not a biblical thing, it's a made up thing. But notice sandwiched in here, this is not a political statement, this is a biblical statement. Hands that shed innocent blood. You cannot possibly convince me that God is pro-choice. Just can't do it. God, God is 100% pro-life. And he hates and wants to vomit at those who would shed innocent blood. And you say, well, that, that doesn't just apply to abortion. I agree. I believe that God hates shootings, murder. I believe that God hates all that, 100%. You can't convince me otherwise. But you can't say that hands that shed innocent blood that God just gives you the choice to choose. But are there things that God hates? Absolutely, there's things that God hates. Hosea chapter 9, verse number 15. <laughs> Get this. Are there people that God hates? You're like, of course not. Okay. Hosea chapter 9, verse number 15. All their wickedness in Gilgal, therefore I hated them. For the wickedness of their doing, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. It's amazing we have these ideas of who God is, but then we read the Bible and it kind of blows all that up, doesn't it? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, God hates sin, but he loves the sinner? 
I think it's a really good idea and principle to live by because at the end of the day, God loves everybody, true? But can God love someone and also hate them at the same time? Absolutely. Now, do you and I get the right to hate sinners? Absolutely not. Because they're not enemies of ours, they're enemies of God. You and I should love all sinners and we should hate all sin, period. Now again, somebody makes different decisions than I do. I don't hate them for that. I don't so much hate what they do. It's just that, like I don't agree with it and the Bible says it's sin and it is what it is. But God has the right to hate the wicked. And again, some of you are feeling really, really uncomfortable right now. Well, I thought God was love. I thought God was grace. He is. But please understand that God is against all those that are enemies of his. Psalm 45, verse number 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of kingdom is the right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Psalm 7, verse number 8. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O God, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that's in me. O let God... Uh, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous trieth the heart of God. My defenses of God, which saveth the upright in heart. Get this. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. The word angry is wrath. If he turn not, means if he doesn't change his path, God, he will wet his sword. That means he's sharpening his sword. He hath bent his bow. He's pulled back an arrow in his bow, and he's made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He hath ordained his arrows against the persecutors. That might not sound like love to you. It's pretty harsh. God is like sharpening his sword, waiting to slit the throat of the wicked. Hmm. How is that loving? So it's kind of, God has like a bow drawn back with an arrow ready to send it through the heart of those that are against him. That's where God's at. So again, this causes us some confliction. Well, I thought God was loving and grace. He is. And here's the beautiful thing about God's wrath is it is equally balanced by God's mercy and willingness to forgive at the drop of a hat. Is God's sword being sharpened against the wicked? For sure. But the moment that you come to God in repentance and confession, God puts it all away and he gives you a really big hug. Welcome in, son, daughter. 30 seconds ago, you were an enemy and I was ready to light you up like a Christmas tree. But now, you're my son. Now you're my daughter. What changed? Only your heart. Only your willingness to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. So you can't understand God's grace without God's wrath. Even the word being saved. Saved from what? Saved from God's wrath. You can't fully grasp God's grace unless you know what you're being saved from. When we talk about God's wrath, one author put it this way, God's wrath is the twin of God's mercy. Mercy without correction is mere permission. And mere permission never has the best interest of the person in mind. God's wrath, then, is God's mercy. There's a political mess taking place in California. I think that kind of goes without saying. California is just a, a mess anyways. L.A. County, though, has a district attorney who basically refuses to prosecute crime. Do these 
Police officers are making these arrests left and right, and basically the DA's office is dismissing them again and again and again. And some of the people in the DA's office are prosecuting cases against the will of the district attorney. It's a mess. They've tried to, to recall him uh, b- because there's no justice there. To, to do away with punishment is not mercy because you're not getting the end result that you want. The end result is justice. Justice requires consequences. If sin has no consequence, why obey God? Why bother? We had a case, um, this is probably two years ago. Wednesday night, we have our Awana program over here, kids up in the front lobby. Um, I'm in here doing discipleship with a couple, and this guy walks in uh, and says, hey, pastor, there's a lady out front of the church who's naked, and I thought you would want to know. And so, Again, people have varying degrees of what naked means, right? Uh, I'm from Kentucky. You call it naked there. Uh, and so varying degrees of what that means. Sometimes people think like, oh, she was wearing a crop top, so she was naked, you know? Or she was wearing a bathing suit, so she was naked. Uh, what does that mean, naked? Like stark naked has no clothes on. Okay. And so I grab my wife. We go out front. Sure enough, this lady's right out front in front of our church, completely naked. Call the cops. They come out. We get all the kids <laughs> thankfully move them in so nobody sees anything like hey everybody move into the the next room over and so the cops show up i'm waiting on the sidewalk i told her hey you need to put some clothes on she's not listening to me at all the cops show up and she immediately throws like a dress on and the cop shows up he's like so what's the problem she's been standing here naked for 15 minutes in front of 50 children well she's got clothes on now (laughs) yeah but she didn't for 15 minutes in front of 50 children and here's what he says what do you want me to do? What do I want you to do? What do I want? I want justice. Consequences. You break the law, you pay the dues. You do the crime, you pay the time. Like, we want justice. That's, that's woven into our nature because that's who God is. God is justice. Again, you look and go, well, looks like she's got clothes on me. Call me if something happens again. Are you kidding me? There has to be consequences when we disobey. We see child molesters let out with probation. Wait a minute. What about the life they destroyed? Where's the justice for that? And so it's interesting. Our heart cries out for justice until we're the one that's guilty, right? And it's like, oh, I really just could use some grace right now. No, no. God, first of all, must require payment. Somebody's got to die. And so, again, if we understand the gospel and we see that Jesus died in our place, that makes the gospel so much more beautiful. You see, God's righteousness would be called into question if he appears to be indecisive and opposing evil. Again, you get a police officer who says, hey, this person broke the law, and they say, well, what do you want me to do? I don't know. We had another case. Um, there's a guy who's sitting out back on Kona Street. He had a stack of mail like this, and he did not look like the type of guy who like, just went and checked his mailbox, right? And he's feeling all the envelopes, and he'll rip some open and, and pull out cards and throw the rest to the side. And he does this with a stack of mail like this. And so I go out there, and there's like 15 different addresses on these, these envelopes. Some of them are American Express. Some of them are Visa. 
And basically, he's taken all the cards out of them, ripped them, and thrown away. There, there's uh, things in there that had gift cards in them that he takes the, the gift card and then throws the rest of it away. And so it's obvious that this guy's stolen somebody's mail and is going through and taking all the stuff. So what do I do? Call the cops. And so comes back and he's like, I said, hey, this guy's over here with stolen mail. How do you know it's stolen? Well, it's addressed to 15 different people. Well, maybe those are people that live with him. Okay. Well, one of these is for American Express. He doesn't look like the type of guy that just signed up for an American Express card and decided to open his mail on Kona Street behind a church. I'm just saying. And so he says, well, uh, what would you like me to do? I don't know. Maybe ask the guy some questions. I mean, worst case scenario, all the garbage he left here would be considered littering, right? And here's what he says. Would you like me to help you clean it up? No, man, I can clean it up myself. I can't write that guy a ticket for littering. Well, I don't see anybody around here. Yeah, because he just walked around the corner. And so you look at that and you go, wait a minute. But here's the thing, I get it. Uh, I'm not down on our police department. I love our police. Absolutely love them. Pray for them. Uh, I, I buy, them buy them dinner any t- chance I get. I love our police. But here's the thing, their hands are tied. Because he says, I write this guy a, a, a citation for littering. He's not going to show up in court. He gets another warrant that's added to his record. And then he never gets arrested for it. And so we look at this thing and go, okay, so we just let people steal mail, litter wherever they want to, and don't help hold them responsible. And so we're soft on crime. Imagine God allows you and I to sin and sin and sin and sin, and God's just like, eh, you're fine. I know, I know you sin. I made you that way, so it's okay. That means that God really isn't good. That means that God really has rules, but he doesn't have any teeth in them when you break the rules. There have to be consequences. So is God anger the same way that God's love? He's not. God's not anger. God's justice. God requires that things be made right. Job 37 says it this way, touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He's excellent in power and in judgment and plenty of justice. God's wrath flows from his love for justice. Because God loves justice, he must punish sin. Because things must be made right, God must hold people accountable. And so again, when it comes to the wrath of God and punishment, there are only two choices. You can be punished, or Jesus can be punished for you. And so again, when you and I If we've been saved, the Bible says that we'll never see wrath. We are shielded from God's punishment for sin. Now, chastisement is a totally different ball of wax. That's Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to talk about that later, we can. But you and I will never face judgment, penalty, punishment for our sin because our sin was already punished on the cross by Jesus. God's wrath is not part of his essential nature the same way that love, holiness, and righteousness is. So God is not anger. God is not wrath. God is love, holiness, righteousness, mercy. God is grace. But his wrath is only in response to sin. It's not part of his essential nature. It's not part of his makeup. Let me put it this way. God is only angry when he is provoked. And he's provoked by sin. Now, this is different, again, from you and I saying, well, I only get mad when the old lady makes me mad. No, no, that's different. That's not the same thing. You're mad because you have no self-control. Someone provoking you is like asking you, like, 
hey, did you spend you know seven dollars at Subway yesterday? Don't ask me where I spent my money. That's that's not wrath. That's not being provoked. God is literally provoked by sin and unrighteousness, which brings out anger in response. But that's not who God is. God doesn't delight in wrath. God does not enjoy being angry. Lamentations 3.33, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. The Bible says that even when wicked people die, that God has no delight in the death of the wicked. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to be punished. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God doesn't delight in sending people to hell. God doesn't delight in punishment. God doesn't delight in anger. But God must do that because God is justice. Let's say some final thoughts this morning about the wrath of God and we're done. First of all, you cannot enjoy the grace of God without understanding the wrath of God. Again, you cannot enjoy being saved unless you know what you've been saved from. You cannot understand how gracious God is in the fact that he's not giving you what you deserve, but he's giving you things that you don't deserve despite the fact that you've broken his law. Look, I deserve death and hell. Anything that I get outside of that is just a benefit. If I woke up today with breath in my lungs, that's the grace of God. If I'm allowed to see another sunrise, that's the grace of God. If I have people in my life that love me and care about me, that's the grace of God. I don't deserve any of this. I deserve wrath. But I can't understand how good God's grace is unless I understand, first of all, what I deserve. Secondly, we can't appreciate salvation without understanding what we've been saved from. Again, have you been saved? Saved from what? Saved from wrath. Saved from judgment. Saved from hell. Saved from the penalty of your sin. Saved from the power of your sin. When we talk to other people about Jesus, we can't share the beauty and majesty of the gospel without appropriately explaining the wrath of God. Jesus died for you. Why did he have to die? Jesus took your punishment. Why does anybody have to be punished? Why can't God just give everybody a pass? Same reason a judge that everything that comes across his path, he just rubber stamps, dismiss, 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 dismiss. Doesn't even look at it, just rubber stamps it all. We say, there's no justice there. And so we can't fully explain how beautiful the gospel is that Jesus died for sinners. Jesus, as he hung upon that cross, endured my wrath, my punishment my guilt, my shame, all that while he hung there alone to suffer and bleed and die on my behalf. That's why we can sing songs. I don't know if you paid attention to the music we sang today, but all of it talked about the wrath of God. How Jesus absorbed the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. How we we speak of Jesus Christ, we say, Jesus, thank you. The wrath of God completely satisfied. Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Several years ago, uh, the song that we sang, In Christ Alone, has a line that says, Until on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Uh, Presbyterian denomination wanted to change that line and put it in their hymnal to where it says, uh, as Jesus, Upon that cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. And so to do that, they had to get the permission from the songwriters, uh, Keith and Kristen Getty and Stuart Townsend. 
So they wrote a letter asking for permission to change that line to remove the wrath of God because it made people feel uncomfortable. And I praise God for people who have principles and biblical understanding. They wrote back and they said, no, you can't change it. Because on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And we need to sing about that. Oh, look, I'm all for songs that talk about happy and being in heaven. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river. I'm, I'm all for that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's biblical. But we also need to sing about the wrath of God that was poured out upon the Son of God for the sins of mankind sometimes too. Got to do it. Final thought, completely, totally done. God's wrath and hell. So is God's forgiveness, mercy, and grace through Jesus Christ. How a message today, like today, can be good news. The good news is if you're a child of God, you'll never see wrath. You'll never see judgment. You'll never be punished for your sins. The price has already been paid in full by Jesus Christ himself. That's the good news of this. If you've been saved, if you've been born again, the wrath of God is something that completely and totally went past you. And you'll never see it. But that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility of telling other people who stand in danger of God's wrath. We, ne we need to share the gospel. We need to share the truth. Tell people how they can find Jesus, how they can find heaven, how they can find peace and grace and love and mercy and not wrath. And you might be sitting here today saying, I, I don't know for sure if I'm saved or not. You need to be saved today. Here's what John says in John chapter 3, verse number 36, ridiculously clear. He who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life and the wrath of God abides on him. That's heavy. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, there's a very good possibility that the wrath of God is on your shoulders. And the only way that you can get that off is to put your faith in Jesus alone to save you. But for those of us that are saved, hey, let's live under the grace of God, praising God this week that the wrath of God has been absolved by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.